okay, fantastic. So if you go up to the um, uh, up to the lounge at the top, the BA lounge, I will meet you there in um, uh, however long it takes you to get there. I'm assuming about two minutes. Oh, you're still there. Do I deduce from that, which I have, by the way, recorded a bit of? <laughs> do, do I do I deduce from that, Simon, that you are actually at Heathrow and just going somewhere? Uh, yes, I'm. I'm going to um, uh, go, going to Singapore to do some filming. Hello again, fellow travellers, and welcome after a brief interlude to podcast 131 in our series you should have been there with me mick webb and me simon calder apologizing for the slightly shaky start as you may have determined i'm actually kind of on the move through heathrow my final destination is singapore um, with my esteemed director and cameraman doug who i have to try to coordinate with but um all seems to be calm and good and mick we can carry on um talking now they are not going to be um, calling my flight just yet and we're going to consider some of the world's greatest travel mysteries not that we're going to be able to solve them of course but at least we can shed a little bit of light and i must confess the one i'd most like to get to the bottom of which is a bit topical is how qatar got to host the world cup but uh well it was 12 years ago that decision was taken and um it still looks pretty murky to me but you're the crystal palace fan mick well since our squad of footballers has been announced and no crystal palace players have uh, made it onto the plane as they say uh, the whole thing seems even shadier and dodgier to me however i do have a brand new mystery that i have brought back from my very recent trip to Mallorca. Go on then. Well, it it was a very risky undertaking as my partner Steph and I were hoping to get some sun, some swimming and a break from the unrelentingly grim comedy of our uh, local politics before the winter of discontent really sets in. Um, And in fact, the weather turned out very well. Rather like our own visit uh, in September to the Pyrenees, Simon. The rain and the chill that was forecast the week before just (laughs) never happened. So a balmy time was had by all. But the great mystery was nothing to do with the inaccuracies of forecasting the weather, but about the times when things closed down for the winter season. When does the high season end, in fact? And indeed, when does it begin? Um, And this turned out to be even harder to pin down than the weather. Um, And I should say that we went to a very nice little town, a a former fishing village in southeast Mallorca called Porto Petro, which I imagine is now about 90% dependent on tourism rather than fishing for its income, (laughs) at least during the high season. Anyway, I thought it would be prudent to ask our local B&B host if the supermarket, the local supermarket just down the road from the flat we'd rented, would be open when we got there. And she reported back, no, yeah. it had already closed. We'd have to what? go. Yeah, really. We, this was the 31st of October. And she said we'd have to go yeah. to the bigger and significantly more upmarket uh, resort of Calador. 
Uh, uh, Canada, by the way, a place I'm very, very fond of, um, uh, southeastern end of uh, Mallorca, and um, pretty much everything you would want, including a very nice um, uh, hotel, which is about sort of 20 quid a night, or at least it was when I stayed there, um, called something like the Caravelle. Anyway, do carry on. Oh, really? I associated it more with uh, luxury yachts and extremely expensive, but um, uh, interestingly damaging cocktails. But anyway, <laughs> uh, when we arrived on the the 31st of October in Porto Petro, the local spa was open and um, it stayed open and told us it was going to be open for the rest of our stay. But then it said it wasn't going to be um, <laughs> and that they were going to close. That was on the Wednesday. And then they continued to be open until <laughs> until we actually left. And uh, uh, similar things tended to happen with the restaurants. So um, the mystery, which I'm trying to get to the bottom of, is are there any rules for these things? Or is it yes. all a figment of Thomas Cook and Tui's imagination? There, I can tell you exactly what the mystery should be. Uh, it shouldn't be a mystery at all. It should very much be the case that on the uh, 2 a.m. on the final Sunday of October, October is exactly when the summer season ends. Yes, it does. So that would have been um, 2 a.m. Spanish time, British time doesn't really matter because the clocks would have been going forward or back or something. Um, But that is officially it. And everything is kind of, the the whole aviation season flips completely. Um, So, for example, you could fly out on the 29th of October October this year to all manner of places and then you find that the next flight back isn't till March when exactly the opposite thing happens. <laughs> Last Sunday of uh, March, uh, two, 2 o'clock in the morning, that's when summer begins for the aviation world. Now, but it does sound very, very patchy there, unlike in Greece, where pretty much um, the, the shutters will go up and everybody will um, head back to Athens or Thessaloniki or wherever they live and um, uh, see through the winter there. So, oh well, I'm, I'm, I'm um, ah. mystified indeed that they should not simply have said um, Cerrado, which um, uh, I'm sure they would have done across in lovely Menorca, by the way, um, smaller island, fewer people, and um, more definite uh, winter season where not much happens. There we go. Local rules. Uh, yes, and uh, every every um, uh, southern European resort wants to be a proper year-round resort, but unfortunately it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing in the sense that um, if there's no tourists there, then there's no point opening, and if there's nothing open, then the tourists won't come. So, uh, but of course, um, you, you were the beautiful city of Palma is very much a uh, year round place. And I hope you got to explore there. Uh, no, actually, we didn't. We were intending to. But in fact, we found uh, the uh, the local environment so lovely. We even wished that we hadn't hired a car really? because um, uh, the, the the main of attraction was the Calas, yeah. the coves. Yes. And there were I had and I had no idea there were so many of these things and um, how different they were and uh, of course how lovely um out of season when the sea is still warm um, and so it was the sea was approximately the same temperature as the air about 22 ah. degrees and so we um, leapt happily oh. into several of these uh, several of these uh, 
I suppose they're mini fjords, aren't mm. they, really? Kind of rocky inlets with a lovely sandy beach at the end of them. Very protected. And, uh, and the colours of these things... If I could um, coin a phrase here, the colour of the colour, uh, <laughs> they are seen from above on the rocks above. The most astonishing turquoises oh. and emerald colours, which really would match anything you've ever seen in the Caribbean. Absolutely joyful this sounds, but that it helps to explain why we've been absent from the uh, podcasting arena for a couple of weeks. Um, and let's have a look at what you've been saying to us on Twitter. This is the new Twitter. We um, uh, have not yet um, <laughs> had to start paying for our for, for our Twitter feed. And I, I, I'm going to start with the, the trams because this clearly struck a chord. And I was um, uh, <laughs> enduring uh, while you were away, Mick, the Manchester tram metrolink it's not the best anywhere in the world so i wondered which was and um uh, eric says trams of san francisco both the ones by the piers and the rack assisted ones well i think they're cable assisted actually eric but um thank you anyway uh janice says and oh have you been here mick the funicular up the incline to pablo neruda's house in valparaiso in chile um, such a colourful, atmospheric city. Have you been to Valparaiso? No, I'm so I'm so envious. Yeah, I've been working on them. The uh, in the footsteps of Pablo Neruda tour for uh, myself, but uh, haven't actually got around to um, doing it yet. Um, Funiculars, I'm not sure if they quite work as trams, but it's still a, a, a lovely idea. Um, our friend Rebecca says, we love trams, particularly uh, Milan's old trams, Budapest, which has different types, and uh, stayed in some hotels, and she actually sends us pictures of hotel rooms with views of trams in various places that's a that's a, a, a choice you don't often make um i'm, I'm pretty sure we've got a, a bit of milan in there and um some some fairly modern ones which i'm going to say france because they tend to be the people who've got the the flashiest uh, trams um and prague cheap beer and great says uh, kev the red slightly going off um, off piece there um and yeah talking of france um chris roberts the tram in nice France is very modern and amazing journey. Um, and uh, here we have a couple of people, including Nick Brooks Sykes, who says Manchester, Manchester, Manchester. Bess's author barn to Manchester Airport, 73 minutes and 31 stops of humanity, says Mike C. Um, and uh, yeah, we would love to hear about your trams. Louise gives an honourable mention to the, the Kunsttram that runs the entire length of the Belgian coast. Yes, it does. It's fantastic. So, uh, uh, and then culminating with Simon Wilcock, who's put a beautiful picture of a tram in Nagasaki. It does look an absolute it's delight. Lovely, it's isn't kind it? Of cream yeah. at the top, green at the bottom. Um, and you really get a sense of, of, of travel there. And they, they've even um, uh, put the, uh, uh, the, the, di the, the destination in uh, Roman script, although I can't quite make it out. It looks like Ratoa Jaya. Anyway, um, I would hop on board wherever it was going. <laughs> well, I was very struck by uh, the tram-inspired photo that John sent us. Um, in fact, it's a still taken from Truffaut's film Fahrenheit 451, which is the original um, film of the Ray Bradbury novel, uh, not the uh, glossy recent version. Um, and uh, th th this picture 
shows the two lead actors, Julie Christie and Oscar Werner, um, getting off what John says um, looks very like mm-hmm. the dangling tram of Wuppertal, and during their um, oh. it's during their commute back from their um, uh, their sort of miserable working life. And um, uh, but in fact, I can reveal that this was not the Wuppertal monorail that you memorably travelled on, Simon, but a, a oh, test track shame. that operated for many years in France in the Chateauneuf, south of Paris, though the French never put it into commercial operation for some reason i don't know why well i should mention a couple of things about the dangling tram of wuppertal first of all tim coxon uh, to answer your question no it is not a euphemism thanks tim um <laughs> and the germans bless them have just brought out a 49 euro ticket it's going to be everywhere next year you'll recall that i was um, on the rails of germany in the summer for my nine euro ticket well this one's 49 euros but to sell it they've got a picture of a train they've got a picture of a bus and they've got a picture of the dangling tram of Wuppertal. So I hope that we will all be um, be going on on there. Uh, but uh, just just a sort of final thing on the uh, on the dangling tram. I mean, and uh, at the risk of entering Sood's corner, I think the monorail in Fahrenheit four five one was actually a metaphor, not a euphemism, but a metaphor for totalitarian thinking. Anyway, I'll leave you with that one. And oh. um, and on a lighter note, another photo I, I really enjoyed was sent in by, again, by Rebecca, Rebecca Halpen. And this was apropos of our podcast on free travel. And Rebecca tweeted, just been to some good free museums in Manchester, the Imperial War Museum North and the People's History Museum. There are also free buses around some central areas here. Now, the photo she sent is of an exhibit from, I presume, the People's uh, History Museum. It shows a poster with an attractive uh, collage of a uh, of a cut-out figure, um, a male, I think, um, with kind of photographs on it of someone surfing, a cricket bat. There's a bright sun up around this guy's um, uh, left leg because he is actually upside down and I think I can see the Sydney Harbour Bridge there as well yes you guessed it, it's about Australia and um, and the words uh, on the poster are £10 takes you to good jobs in sunny Australia, inquire here now Oh, well, you must, though, Mick, because you're um, a similar age to me, you must know people who in the 1960s did actually give it all up and the £10 notional cost of getting there was um, really effectively just a huge subsidy from the Australian government to get British people to emigrate to Australia, to, to effectively do all the, the jobs that needed doing it yeah. was a, um, a, a it went on for decades um, and certainly there were there were friends of mine um, growing up in Crawley who would suddenly just leave just like that and I did actually see one or two of them back in Australia on the it, when finally we got from the stage where a 10 pound ticket was effectively a one-way ticket and you'd never see anybody again once um, once uh, aviation became more affordable then they of course could yeah. get back but uh, yeah it, it is enticing them to a better life and thank you Rebecca for um, reminding us and um, of course Rebecca also from Crawley and I think I, I can see 
touches of Crawley actually in that poster. So there we are. Why would you ever want to go anywhere else? £10 takes you away from Crawley to a job anywhere else. It, no, I, I, I jest and I'm yeah. sorry, Crawley. I'm sorry, Rebecca. And I'm sorry, Simon. Uh, but let's get on to travel mysteries. And let's kick off with a topical one. Topical, that is, for Alistair Wade, who tweeted, Read Travel Mysteries. My family recent returned from a lovely two-centre holiday in Portugal. We travelled by train from the Algarve to Lisbon, but the seat numbering system is bizarre and looks completely random. And uh, Alistair sends a picture. He says, Our three adjacent seats were 111, 113 and 117. <laughs> well, that does sound worthy of qualifying as a travel mystery. Mick, have you got any um, any experience of such such weirdnesses the most uh, confusing that uh, i ever came across was on a norwegian air flight which i think was going to uh, la palma in the canaries um and Ooh. when um, uh, the eager holiday makers crowded onto the plane we found that uh, next to none of our <laughs> seat tickets actually matched um uh, the seats because they changed the plane um and uh, so the plane that had been a wide-bodied jet with a sort of um, with a sort of row of four in was no longer um, a wide-bodied jet and had two lots of three. I Honestly, the chaos was absolutely extraordinary. It took nearly as long to sort it out as it did to fly from um, the south of England to the Canary Islands. Uh, well, yes, and I, I found myself also with a boarding pass um, actually just a couple of weeks ago in uh, Darwin, Australia, where I was told that I was in um, seat, I think, um, 47, uh, 47K and I imagine this was some vast aircraft that was going to come and pick me up in fact it wasn't, it was a tiny little Embraer but they do really weird things so that they invent extra rows and then because of course uh, they want to have a common system they will actually say okay first two seats on the left are called A and B the last two on the right are called J and K because if you were on a tenor breastplate that would be how they would they, they would roll so uh, very weird but as you were saying earlier Mick local rules apply them's the rules. Well, I think those generally count as um, fairly minor mysteries in the great scheme of things. But um, I know from having uh, talked to you about these things at great length that you were certainly interested in in those strange and tragic uh, disappearances of um, aircraft and ships, which seem to um, uh, bedevil uh, the uh, travels of uh, us humans. Yes, and let me make a distinction here. There is, uh, of course, a, a bit of an urban myth about the Bermuda Triangle, a patch of the uh, North Atlantic, which um, is said to be the resting place for countless um, ships. And it's basically a triangle which has its kind of top right corner in Bermuda. Um, it's uh, it's a kind of, it's an equilateral triangle, which kind of has another corner in Miami and yet another one at the uh, top of Puerto Rico. And lots of aircraft and ships have disappeared there, supposedly under mysterious circumstances. But the thing is, this was 
when, when the myth grew up, it was the mid 20th century. Planes and ships, very sadly, were going missing the whole time. And there is nothing I can find to sustain the idea that there is a, uh, uh, that, that this so called Devil's Triangle, as is also known, is, has got anything going for it. As opposed to, very sadly, the greatest mystery of modern times. And I'd say that's not just travel, but anything. Uh, what happened to MH370? Of course, this was the plane that took off um, eight years, eight months ago now, Mick. Um, Boeing 777, just on a routine flight from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, going to uh, Beijing. Um, the, the aircraft uh, literally left the radar. Um, I remember being woken up at about 1 a.m. British time um, by a radio station who wanted to know about it. And I had a very quick look and I just said, well, I'm very sorry. It appears to have come down in the South China Sea. And um, I'm so sorry for the uh, loved ones of the, I think, 239 people on board. And then it turned out it wasn't anywhere like that. It was probably in the um, Southern Indian Ocean, somewhere off the coast of Western Australia. There was a great long search that looked for it for a couple of years. Um, and they were very confident of it. And well, still well. nobody knows. And of course, with these mysteries, there's all kinds of um, uh, of, of possible um, explanations for it. Was it a, a, um, a pilot who uh, decided to end it all in a very extreme fashion? Um, was it uh, a terrorist act? Uh, who knows? Was it um, stolen, taken to Kazakhstan, <laughs> where it's in a shed? <laughs> nobody, nobody knows. And um, it is, of course... A de- a desperately desperately sad for the relatives of these uh, the, the, these lost souls they've been through absolute hell and although there's been bits of um, debris washed up in the uh, uh, off the coast of africa and the island of reunion we just do not know that is truly mad. Um, I'm glad to say that I'm more interested in the kind of mystery which I think we could call um, how did it get there how mm. did they do that that sort of thing, you know, like the um, yes. the statues on Easter Island, the pyramids, oh. um, uh, the uh, uh, well, the Nazca lines. Now, those are things I would actually love to go and see. Have you ever um, managed to spot ordinary uh, geoglyphs? Uh, yes, and and it's a. Uh, I mean, the main miracle actually there is that you land um, having um, paid whatever it was, uh, fifty, maybe a hundred dollars to a. <laughs> A pilot to fly on at what's clearly a very dodgy plane, but uh, yes, a, a, quite a sight <laughs> to see. Um, of course, the UK equivalent is the crop circles in in Wiltshire. Um, haven't heard much from those around, but I, look, I absolutely agree about the, uh, the 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 Moai, if that's the correct name, in Easter Island. Have you been lucky enough to go there, Mick? Because I have. And you are just oh, everywhere, no, absolutely not no. surrounded by these these heads. And of course, there's very strong images that we have, uh, particularly a great long a line of about a dozen of these things by the shore, and that's very magnificent. But you kind of trip over them sometimes, literally, as you're walking around. They were roughly kind of um, 14th, 15th century. It is thought, and um, it could well be that they were simply 
a matter of showing off on an island which was um, remote, had no contact with the rest of the world. Um, how are we going to um, prove our our worth? Well, let's let's build increasingly absurd um, stone heads and, um, and and plant them in the soil. So uh, I suppose there, you know, there wasn't much else to do, but um, uh, they 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 managed. Um, to do it and by the way easter island would still be an absolutely gorgeous magical fascinating friendly relaxed place even if it didn't have this uh, attraction also profoundly beautiful so uh, get get out there and wonder well just returning um, briefly to the nazca lines um and i don't think it's been um, definitively um proven uh, why uh, the uh, ancient Nazca people decided to draw these things um, in the desert. And some of the lines are up to 30 miles long. They really are extraordinary. Um, and I can uh, exclusively reveal that you don't have to go up in a terrifying light aircraft in a very um, uh, windy spot on the, uh, on the planet. You uh, can actually see these things from observation, a couple of observation towers, I think. And um, I today uh, managed with the uh, help of a reasonable computer and um, Google Earth to see them quite well, um, including <laughs> the condor. Look for the condor or the monkey. And they really are um, extraordinary um, depictions of <laughs> those creatures. So uh, there you go, Nazca lines. Um, and uh, there is just one other thing that I would like to um, go and see in terms of mystery, and that is the Marfa ghost lights. Have, have you ever heard of those? I've been to Marfa, and that's not um, bad pronunciation. It's um, M-A-R-F-A. I've um, I, I, I've I've sat for a long time hoping to see the ghost lights, and they never showed for me. So I think it was all a bit of a swizz. But here you are in the um, in the far west of uh, Texas, and you're supposed to be able to see um, the phenomenon of orbs of light. And many people say that they have seen them um, and many people have produced images of them. Although, of course, these days you can produce an image of anything you want to. So I'm not uh, I'm not absolutely convinced, but I do know that it's a good stop on a road trip across Texas, which is, um, I think, in general terms, a huge delight. Texas being, I think, the place which distills all that's best and possibly also worst about America. Yes, I know what you mean. And I have seen um, supposed uh, images of these things, which look like kind of large golden um, basketballs in the sky. But may maybe they vary from uh, from uh, one night to another um, and uh, how much um, peyote you might have taken as an observer. <laughs> but um, I, I tell you what really is there and isn't a figment of the imagination. I don't know if you saw this. Because Martha has become something of a a uh, bizarre meeting of, of desert and chic. Um, there are actually all kinds of um, strange contemporary sculptures, in, including a um, Prada Martha, which is a, uh, a um, imitation um, a Prada store um, in the middle of a great uh, field of sand, <laughs> which oh. made me laugh anyway. 
Well, I, I shall I shall head head back there um, as soon as I can, and um, uh, at least look at the art and maybe see these uh, these um, orbs, as you uh, as you put it. Of course, you're not very far if you're in that um, uh, part of Texas, um, from uh, relatively speaking, in in a, in a Texas way, um, from Albuquerque, uh, location for Breaking Bad. There's even some scenes in uh, El Paso in Texas, so uh, you might want to. Uh, to, to head along there um, for some uh, uh, fiction tourism, which is always a good thing. Um, but I think uh, there are more, indeed, more questions than answers at the moment, which is um, probably a good, good place to end. And we're, we're very, very welcoming of your uh, questions and your explanations, more to the point, about why things are as they are, whether that's in Marfa, whether it's on Easter Island. And if you know what's happened to Malaysian flight MH370, do let us and probably the authorities know too. What are we doing next week, Mick? Well, next week, I think we should get back to basics and um, try and um, update ourselves and uh, anybody else who would care to listen on the latest science around travelling in a green way. And this has obviously been inspired by uh, COP27. So we hope to be able to delve into... um, energy-saving and planet-saving ways of still managing to um, get around the place. Uh, that would be very good. Of course, um, Sharm el-Sheikh, the venue for COP27 and the uh, airport at which all manner of private jets, um, up to and including Air Force One, I believe, landed so that the uh, world's <laughs> leaders could tell us how it was a really bad idea to fly anywhere. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to uh, yes, get, getting updated on where we are on sustainability and travel. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.